Hey everybody, welcome back to the Something to Bless podcast with me, Barbara Gian at barbaragian.com. I hope you guys are all doing great. I'm sitting here thinking, I can't believe it's already the end-ish of the month. I know February is a short month, but still. But I should calm down because I get mad at my husband. He always will, on the 15th of the month, call it the end of the month. And at five o'clock in the evening, call it the end of the night. I'm like, calm down. Like, enjoy the time that is here right now. It just drives me bananas. So let me not imitate him right now. Okay, guys, we have a very special guest on the show. Erica Ball is in the house. She is with us today to share a bit of her story, and you're going to love her, and I think you're going to be encouraged by what she is sharing with all of us. Before we jump into that, I do want to say thank you to our sponsor. This show is brought to you by the Always Faithful Prayer Devotional, created by yours truly. This is really a way to jumpstart your week uh, and even something that you can use every day to get into the Word. There's scripture, daily declarations, there are pages for journaling. There's so much in here, and it's good for the year. 52 weeks worth of pages for you to be in and get your feel. The link for that is in the show notes. It is on Amazon. So grab one for you and a friend. All right, Erica Ball. She is the founder and director of We Are Those People, a nonprofit organization dedicated to sharing stories of hope and recovery. And again, she's sharing a part of her story. And there was a part of our conversation where she talks about just her hopelessness that she got to a point where she thought if she couldn't change her situation, that was it. She was just going to end it all because she had tried and tried and didn't have uh, luck, didn't have success with getting clean and sober. And she was ready to throw in the towel and give it all up. And of course, that breaks my heart, uh, just knowing that anybody would ever get to that low point of hopelessness. And I thought about the life that she has today because she didn't give up and because it did work in her favor. And God's grace did cover her and bring her through that dark time. And it's a reminder for all of us. I know that this is probably easier said than done to somebody who is in a true state of hopelessness they may not have the ears to hear this. But the the truth and the reality is that God has so much in store for you yet. So much goodness, you can't fathom it. And anytime you're in a, a valley or a low state in life, that is temporary. And that is not God's plan or God's design or God's hope for you. So just a great reminder, something to think about for all of us. But I do not want to keep you any longer. I want to let you hear this conversation. I know, again, you're going to love it. And I am leaving all of her information in the show notes. So if you want to get in touch with her, connect with her, you can find her information down below. All right. Here is my conversation with Erica Ball. I feel so giddy right now, Erica. Hi. I am so excited to have you on. So normally when I have a guest come on, it's always intuition, just telling me I need to know more of their story or learn more about them. I know we connected probably a few years ago now through, I believe, my husband's page. We connected in the, during the pandemic. 
Was it during the pandemic? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember. Okay, so Thank I you. remember when my husband started his page, which has grown, and it's really kind of his way of giving back and spreading the message of just hope for people in recovery and addiction and all that whole space. And I started to notice, and it was funny, that a lot of people in recovery, well, I don't know if I should say a lot, but people in recovery started following me. And so then I was like, oh, shoot, like, I started to feel sort of like a fraud. I'm not in recovery. I don't know. But it didn't matter. It's not like I'm saying or doing anything that would be in contradiction to that. But I almost had this this feeling of being a fraud. Like, I hope they realize that I'm not in recovery. My husband is and I totally support it. But it was just funny that it happened. Yeah, it's a family disease. So you are. So you, you do have something to say that's important for people in recovery to know about. So you're right. I I absolutely consider you a part of the recovery family. Yeah. And I do feel very much connected to the cause and and the struggle that so many face. I was a child of addicts and alcoholics and Mm -hmm. I have family members currently. And, you know, it's just so close to me that I do connect and I do relate. And I know there have been times in the past when my husband was talking about, I don't know what, but he would say something like, you're a normie. And I'm like, ooh, ooh. <laughs> Normies. Should I be offended or what is that? <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what I said. Is that supposed to be an insult? Like, okay. So funny. But okay, so that's how you and I connected. And I just love, I guess it's the algorithm. I don't get to see a whole lot of your posts, but I just see kind of here and there what you post. And I know what you guys have. You have a a nonprofit organization, and we're going to talk all about that. And I just see you winning. Like I saw that you got your master's degree recently. And I don't want to embarrass you, but girl, you are like drop dead gorgeous. And then you have all of this. It's not just the beauty. It's like the brains and the heart to go with it. And it's just, you're such a special person. But I recently, a few weeks ago, I just kept getting your name, like Erica Ball, Erica Ball. And I knew it had to do with asking you to come onto the podcast because this is kind of my platform. This is how I am able to inspire or encourage others with people's stories and people's lives. So I knew right away it was for that purpose. So uh, thank you for saying yes. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you, Barbara. Thank you so much. I feel honored that you would invite me. And yeah, I've been following you. And I know it's been since the pandemic, because that's when I started to, that's when we connected with living clean and seeing, you know, your husband's, your husband's platform as well. And then I remember you had sent me and Frank some of your affirmation cards. Oh my I goodness. Know, I don't know if you remember that, but you sent I do now. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, that was really sweet. And I kept them on my desk for a really long time. And then I ended up giving them to a sponsee of mine. Oh, um, I love that. But they were such a blessing and such a good way to start the morning. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember being inspired by just people in recovery or in addiction. I am going to probably keep using both of those terms, but that's amazing. I love that. I did forget all about that. Okay. So because I don't know a whole, I don't know your story. Like I know bits and pieces. My husband knows, he says he's heard you on other podcasts. So he knows more about the details of your story, but I had to look you up a little bit, but I I knew that you had done a TEDx speech, which that's huge alone right there. So I went back and I watched it 
And I was cracking up at the beginning because it was during the pandemic, right? It wasn't an audience that you had, but I was like, you said that you wanted to be a nun when you were little. And I thought that was so funny and so cute. (laughs) Yeah. From kindergarten to third grade, I was in Catholic school and they would also babysit me after school was finished. So I would go to the convent and spend time with them. So I was around a lot of the nuns. They were Filipino nuns. I was living in Alice, Texas. And so I had a lot of influence from the Catholic nuns and I just admired them so much and loved them because they were like my caretakers for a little while, just like after school programs and things like that. Oh, I love that. I wanted to be Sister Elizabeth Erica. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's what I wanted my name to be. So that is so sweet. Life did not turn out that way after all. Right. (laughs) And I guess you can weave this in. The other thing that stood out to me during that speech was you mentioned that you were the only one to struggle in your family. Yeah. None of my family members drank or used drugs or, I mean, my parents had parties and things like that where of course they drank every once in a while with their friends, but it wasn't a problem. There wasn't alcoholism in my family, definitely no drugs at at all. So uh, yeah, out of all of my family, I was the only one that struggled with anything like that to the point of having to go to rehab and, you know, hospitalizations and psych wards and stuff like that. No one experienced any of that. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of a strange thing. Cause like my husband, Frank, he kind of grew up around alcohol and drugs and all that kind of stuff. His life was com- kind of the opposite of, of mine growing up. So it it just goes to show like it doesn't really matter what your background is, whether, you know, whether you are or aren't surrounded by it. Sometimes you're just kind of born with it, you know? Yeah. Do you, because you talk to so many people and hear so many stories now, do you find that it's more one or the other? Because I think for me and maybe a lot of people that we just assume that it's always kind of like patterns down generations. Is that something that you find? Yeah, I mean, it's so different. Some it is genetics. For some, it is environmental or societal or, you know, everybody's different and every situation is different. And the thing is, is that addiction doesn't discriminate in any way. And so I don't know why I was born different in that way, but that's just how it was. I mean, I was a very like hypersensitive child, like emotionally, I probably still am a little hypersensitive, except for the fact that because of my recovery, I'm able to navigate through life a little bit better having the tools that I have now. But yeah, I mean, I've always been a very sensitive person. And so I don't know if that was the difference or if I was just born with it, you know? Well, when did it start? Do you mind taking us through your story before recovery? Well, so I think when I first realized that I had a problem, I was about 21, actually. That's when I really started drinking and experimenting with drugs, which was when I left home and I was in college. I was living in Austin and just started drinking and going out and doing mostly ecstasy and I don't know, the fun drugs, I guess you could say. I just 
it was different for me than it was for my friends. Like they could turn it off and, and I couldn't, you know, I, I would just keep going and going and going and I couldn't stop and I didn't want to stop. And so the first time that I entered treatment was in like the late nineties. And back then we didn't really have insurance covering rehab and things like that. And that's when I was introduced to the 12 steps and just the whole world of recovery. I did like a 10 day rehab stint, which I would consider it's almost just like detox and five days of treatment and that's it. But after that, I was like, oh, okay, great. Like I'm done. I'm cured. I graduated. <laughs> I graduated. Treatment. You know, I'm good now. I don't. So I got the message. Don't drink or do drugs. Right. And then uh, I ended up getting married because I thought, oh, you know, if I get married, surely I won't go back to drinking and drugs because I'm going to be married and that'll just cancel everything. And my husband at the time was like, well, let's go live wherever you want. Where, where do you want to live? And I was like, let's go to New York. So I don't know what made me think that living in New York would sober me up because like, <laughs> there's just so much going on in New York. So anyway, lived in New York for a while. Um, it did not go well. Um, I continued to do like an IOP, intensive outpatient treatment, but I was still drinking and using. And, and I was even put on this medication called Antabuse, which is a medication that if you drink, it makes you sick. So I was on that for a little while, but then I kind of weaned myself off of it and then just started drinking and using again. I'm uh, curious if you're, two things. You said you went into rehab for the first time you said it was the late 90s. Yeah, I think I was in my mid-20s. So you had been drinking and mess doing whatever else for almost 10 years or so. And then did you... Uh, no, no, no. It was... I had probably been using for about four or five years. But okay. I was to the point where like... See, for me, when I use too many drugs, I start to get suicidal. Yeah, I have that kind of ideation, you know? And because... I was into stimulants and later I was diagnosed, you know, you get diagnosed with a ton of things when you're in treatment and was later diagnosed with depression and generalized anxiety and all these different things. And so, of course, if you have those kinds of um, diagnoses, using drugs is, makes it worse. Yeah. You know, it just, it really exacerbates it. And so I wasn't really making the connection for a long time. You know, I just thought this is my medicine. You guys don't really understand. Well, anyway, <laughs> so yeah. I went through years and years uh, going in and out of like treatment and therapy and religion. And I mean, I, I just tried everything that I could possibly do to get myself sober without having to do a regular recovery program. And I did that for many, many years, just trying to find the way. And I never, I never found it until I finally gave recovery a chance. So I finally got sober in 2015. I, I guess my rock bottom was 
that I started using speed and I was shooting up speed and it threw me into a really, really bad psychosis that even when I wasn't using, I was still in psychosis and it was really scary because it's like the psychosis for me appears as demonic. So there's like a demonic presence all over me. I hallucinate a thing. And I don't know, to me, I'm like, that was real. Yeah. (laughs) To me, it's like I passed a line that I shouldn't have, you know, and I entered into a spiritual world that I shouldn't have, or maybe I should have. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Because it kind of worked in your favor now, now that you've come out of that. Yeah. So now I know things that I probably shouldn't have known. And it's kind of like, you know, in the Bible, when, um, when, uh, God says, don't eat from the tree of knowledge, Mm -hmm. don't don't eat eat that fruit. Well, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, don't do that thing because then your eyes are going to see things that you shouldn't see, you know, Mm -hmm. you're going to experience things that you shouldn't experience. And that's definitely what happened for me. So that was one sorry. of my rock bottoms. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> these slight delays, they get in the way. Erica, what you said about the spiritual kind of like, it, it wasn't in front of you to see, but it, you, it was so real, right? And I oh, think yeah. what a lot of people don't understand or realize is that the invisible realm is more real than the physical of what we can actually see with our eyes and touch with our hands. Oh my that God. Invisible I'm realm could... hearing you say that because yes, I believe that a hundred percent. Yeah. Like I have the chills. Yes. I believe that 100%. And I think that when you experience those kinds of things, you like something changes inside of you and you can't go back. You can't go back to the person that, that you were before that experience. Yeah. It just, yeah. It, How could you, right? Yeah. So it, I mean, and that's a good thing, but it can also be kind of a scary thing, but it's definitely made me a stronger person and I'll never go back to that again. You know, I'll never do that. Well, you know, God willing, I guess. Yeah. That's, that's something that my husband does say often is it's not never say never, but it's like, don't ever let your guard down. Because the people with 30, 40 years of recovery, they're just as vulnerable or susceptible as the person who has one day clean exactly. and sober, right? Yeah. Like you. Well, that is definitely one thing that I've learned throughout my time of getting sober and not getting sober and, you know, relapsing and all that kind of stuff is that when I think I know everything that I need to know, that's when I need to rethink things because yeah, never say never. Yeah. Yeah, because any little crack is a way for the enemy to come right back in and start putting thoughts in your head and just attacking yeah. in the way that he does. But you have that commitment and that determination to never go back. And that's the most important thing is that you have that inside of your soul. You're like, no way. No way. No way. Also, because of the work that I've done in recovery and I, you know, I work a 12-step program. I worked with a sponsor. I made my amends did all of the work, continue to do that work because you can't stop really. And a part of my amends process was that I made promises to people that I love and that are my family, my friends, people that mean something to me, 
And I made that promise that I would not go back. And that's a part of my living amends. So if I ever have like, oh, maybe I, you know, maybe that might be, it's like, no, no, you made a promise. You can't let those people down. You can't let yourself down. Also, I can't let those people down because, you know, I hurt a lot of people. Oh, I can. Yeah. mm -hmm. It hurts. they, They deserve my sobriety. <laughs> they do. You do and they do. Yeah, exactly. I do and they do as well. So Was your family aware of the extent of your struggles in the worst times of it or during the worst yeah. part of it all? Yeah, they were because I couldn't hide it, you know? I couldn't hide it. I, I I hit it for a very long time, but when it got to the point where I was at my worst, there was no hiding it. it right. Was- bad. It was so obvious. Um, you know, my brother had to come and stay with me for some time. And then my sister did. And my parents were living in, in Badawai. That's where they're from. So they weren't here physically, but of course they knew what was going on. And my family helped me out a lot to get the help that I needed. So they did know. And also... Yeah. I was also at the point where I was like, I need help, please, please help, you know. (laughs) You were asking for it. I was asking for it. Oh, yeah, I needed help. There were times in my addiction where I was in profuse denial and I didn't want help and I rebelled and I was angry and I would use and in in an angry kind of way. Because there were so many years of getting sober and relapsing, getting sober, relapsing. Get, I, mean, I was a chronic relapser for many, many years. So I, I have all of the stories are part of my story where yeah. I wanted help, then I didn't want help, then I wanted to, you know, and I just was so confused. But towards the end, I was begging and pleading for help. And, and um, when I was able to finally surrender and have that gift of desperation, I was able to say, okay, enough. I cannot do this anymore. Yes. I think that's what so many family members pray for is just for the person to ask or want that help. And that's it. It's like, okay, yes, we can do this. Now there's hope. Now we're talking like we can actually do something about this because you asked for it. You want it. Exactly. And that's something I always tell people it's like you you cannot help somebody that doesn't want help like unfortunately you can want it all you want for them but until they're ready and until they're willing to take the help that is offered there's nothing that anybody can do it has to come from them it has to be them yeah. and i know that from my own experience and also just from being a person who helps other people as well yeah so I want to talk about that. So your clean date, your clean and sober year is 2015. Yes. And you haven't looked back. Congratulations. That's so amazing. I'm assuming by this point you had divorced your husband. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That was a long, long time. <laughs> that was a long time. <laughs> it was over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, no, he's remarried. And obviously I'm remarried. And yeah. Right. Yes. Okay. I want to talk about that. So you, well... You can probably cover this when you share. You're a drug and alcohol counselor. Is that something you do now? I'm not. I don't do that anymore. I did get my my KDAC and I did work as a case manager for many years. 
But no, I don't do that anymore. We have our nonprofit organization. And so we help connect people and have resources and things like that. And then also I'm a person in recovery. So that's just something that we do as a part of our recovery is helping other um, people who are struggling. So I have sponsees and things like that. Yeah. 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 I, I hear just so much amazing stuff from my husband because he's now a sponsor after being in recovery for several years. He has taken on that role and it's so fulfilling and rewarding. It's such a gift, but he will also say a lot of times, like, it's for me too, more than anything. It's for me. It keeps me healthy yeah, and strong in my own recovery. Part of our recovery, right? Yeah. 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 So you, do, let's talk about how you met your current husband. And then, because I know he's a tattoo artist. Yeah, he's a tattoo artist. He, so Frank and I, okay. So I was living in Texas when I had that last relapse that I, you know, where I lost my mind and was in psychosis. And so my sister was looking for rehabs and came across a phone number and the phone number was in a rehab in California. So I don't know how, but I was working at the time. <laughs> my insurance <laughs> my insurance at that time covered. So back then, the first time that I went to rehab, there was no insurance that would pay for rehab. But now, fast forward to 2015, and I have insurance, and it covered my rehab, right? Which was a miracle. Like, really, it's a pretty amazing. So I found a rehab, and it was in California, and I ended up going to California. It was a, a rehab in, in the desert. And so I went there for 30 days. And then I came, went back to Texas. I sold everything I had. And I was like, I'm going to move back to California. Because I had a case manager that was still talking with me. And she was like, you got to get out of Texas. You have way too many connections, too many triggers. You need to come back to California. Orange County is the hub of recovery. There's so many sober livings and treatment centers and you just need to get connected. And I was like, I'll do whatever I need to do. So I went back to Texas. I, and I, I gotten fired from my job, obviously, because I was crazy, but I still had insurance. So that insurance was paying for my treatment and my sober living, which was a huge, huge deal for me. And also they gave me a food card so I could get groceries, I could get food and just cover my basic needs, which was a really big deal and shows like how much we've advanced as far as covering treatment goes. So I moved to California. I didn't know a single soul. I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know what was going to happen. I was still struggling with ideation. And I was like, all right, well, you know, I have nothing to lose. I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to give this recovery thing my all. I'm going to do everything that I have to do to get myself right. And I'm not looking back. And if I end up relapsing, I'm just going to go ahead and end it all. That that was my that was my plan. It wasn't even a plan of like I I didn't want anyone to feel sorry for me. This was just a plan because I just didn't know what else to do. And and that was just what it was going to be. 
And so I ended up going to Costa Mesa. I went to a place called Hotel California, and I was living in a sober living for women called Grace Shores, which both of those places saved my life, and I will always be grateful to them. I had a great case manager. I got a great sponsor, and I started to do intensive work. Like all of the, I started to do EMDR therapy, which is trauma therapy. I started going to all the meetings that I possibly could. I started going to monasteries and temples and churches and just seeking out my spirituality. And so one day I was like, had didn't really have anything to do. So I started walking. I just started walking down the street and I saw this tattoo shop and it was like a Christian tattoo shop. And and it's called Agape. And I just walked in and I was like, you know, just started talking to the tattooer there. And it was Frank. Frank was the tattooer. Well, I made an appointment, but I was like, oh my God, he's gorgeous. I was like, wow, he's really amazing. You know, and so I made an appointment and then, and then I started to feel bad because I was like, what am I doing? Like, no, this is bad. Like, I need to focus. I need to focus because I was like, I shouldn't be thinking about this hot guy that's like, you know, whatever. I don't want to get in trouble, you know, <laughs> for myself, not for him. He didn't know what I was thinking. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up canceling the appointment and then about a month later, it was my birthday. So it was in December and I had gotten a job at this other, at this rehab center. And so I'm working at this rehab center and I'm working the front desk or whatever. And then in comes Frank and he's a client. No way. Yes, he was one of the clients. <laughs> oh my goodness. So you were still in rehab. You were living in the center, one of the places that you were at, right? Yeah. Yeah. And got I a would. job at a different rehab center? At a different rehab center. Yes. Oh my goodness. And it turns out that he was also in treatment and he was in he, in that treatment facility. So he was also living in treatment and also living in a sober living. And we're both kind of like on this parallel life events that are happening. And he was facing a lot. I mean, he was in a lot of trouble. I was in a lot of trouble too. You know, we were both 41 and there were just so many things that we had in common. And, and anyway, we kind of like connected over again. And I guess we went out for coffee or something. I don't know. And then New Year's came around and he was like, oh, we're going to be opening the shop for anyone who's from out of state or if you don't have family or whatever. So I was like, oh, I'm going to go. And so I went for New Year's and we just ended up connecting. And oh, and then later, both of our insurances cut us off. So we didn't oh. have, yeah. So I was cut off and I was like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't go back to Texas but I might have to go back to Texas. And he was like, why don't you move in with me? I'm an, I'll get an apartment. You don't have to pay for rent for, you know, I'll give you a few months and then, and then we can figure it out. He was like, no strings attached. And I was like, oh, strings attached, please. You know, 
<laughs> wrong answer, Frank. Wrong answer. So anyway, so we ended up moving in together. And then after six months, we ended up going down to the court in Santa Fe and we got married. Oh and my goodness. Yeah, we made it official. I mean, listen, we had nothing, you know, we had nothing else to lose. We, you know, getting married wouldn't have been the worst decision we'd ever made. Right. But right. Not the best decision we ever made. And we just celebrated seven years of marriage, eight years together. Also, I love your story. Thank you. We also both celebrated eight years of sobriety. So that was my next question. Yeah, we've never seen each other intoxicated or under the influence of anything ever. And hopefully that will be forever. Yeah. (laughs) Was that a a concern of family or friends that you were now connecting with somebody who was also in recovery and had that background? Nobody ever said anything like that, but I'm sure there were people who were saying stuff like that. But no one really ever said that to me just because we did so well from from the very beginning, we were both super motivated. We were both, you know, the deal was between us, if we were going to be together, we had to commit to our recovery, to our 12 steps that we were going to be helping other people. And that was the deal. And that's always been the deal. Even till today, we keep that deal. It's unwavering. Our recovery and my recovery, it's a deal breaker, really. It's everything. It's everything for both of us. Yeah, because without it, everything is lost. Exactly. Exactly. So So then you guys started, okay, so now he's from California or was he just here for a week? Yeah, he's from California. I believe he grew up in Pico Rivera, but he lived in all parts of Los Angeles. And yeah. And now you guys are in Texas. We are in Texas. Right. We're living in Austin. So my parents actually moved to Texas maybe like seven years ago. So they live very close to me or to us. My sister lives close and my brother and my parents are elderly. So I'm happy that I get to live close to them because I can, you know, go visit them and be of service and they're with them. And Wow. Yeah. Yeah, Family is so important, especially you have your aging parents. It's it's Mm -hmm. especially important to be close to them. Absolutely. Wow. Okay. So when did We Are Those People, your nonprofit, get started? When did you guys come up with the idea? So we came up with the idea. Well, when when we first met, we had both wanted to um, do nonprofit work and uh, work with our recovery community. And so it it was something that we had always talked about. And then finally in uh, 2019 is when we started to put a plan together and started to kind of brainstorm ideas of like, well, what do we want to do? And so we wanted to, you know, raise awareness and talk about recovery and let people know about what it means to be a person in recovery. So we started the nonprofit and it actually really came to life during the pandemic, during the shutdown, because so many people were disconnected and not able to go to the meetings that they normally went to, which is a huge part of recovery for so many people. And so for, you know, for us to have that platform, we had so many people were like, thank you so much for this, you know, sharing their, your stories and for letting us know about the message of recovery. And, and it really just kind of took off 
from there. And then from there, we started to do recovery events where we would have a table and we would do outreach and talk to people and just continuing to uh, you work with other nonprofit organizations like, like the homeless shelters. There's one here called the Arch. Then there's different mental health like the AFSP, which is a suicide prevention organization, Keep Austin Fed, and just different collaborations with other organizations in the community as well. And so that's just something that we continue to do. And we also do advocacy for mental health care reform. And yeah, so that's what that's amazing. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And you stay passionate because you continue to hear all of these stories. Yeah. And we get a lot of people who um, will message us and be like, you know, I'm struggling right now, really need some help or need some resources. Um, so we'll connect them with people who are uh, in the treatment industry or, um, you know, with meetings or any kind of, of resources that we can help with. We always yeah. there for them. And, and also a lot of family members who have children that are struggling or a loved one that is struggling. There's a lot of that as well. Yeah. I hear about it too much. Yeah. And it's so empowering and encouraging to have places to direct people in need, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And especially now with the opioid epidemic that is going on, you know, there's so many, oh my God, so many people who are dying. So many of our community members who are dying and it's just so sad, you know? It is so heartbreaking. I don't know if this is accurate, but this is what I keep hearing. Even for like teens, there's a one in four kind of trend going around that from this fentanyl yeah I don't, i'm not exactly sure about that i know that the statistic like back in 2019 it was about seventy nine thousand people that had died annually and now i believe it's gone up to over a hundred thousand um yeah it's a real thing this is really happening and it is so heartbreaking and so you know, the only thing that I know to do is to keep putting out these stories and keep sending out some hope and letting people know that recovery is possible, you know, and I think that's important. I think what Juan is doing with Living Clean is the same thing, just as important. Those messages that we put out into the world, they're important. People need to see that. People need to hear about uh, the fact that recovery is possible, you know, because yeah. a lot of us didn't think we would make it out. A lot of us didn't believe. A lot of us didn't talk about it, you know, and there are people that don't talk about it and that that just don't even realize that maybe they, they should take a look at how their drinking patterns are, or maybe they should take a look at what yeah. their relationship looks like as far as drugs and alcohol and things like that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And the more that it's out there repeatedly, like over and over, you just never know when that one time someone's going to have a new set of eyes to see things with or just have an an open mind to think deeper about reflecting on their own life and their own habits and that it's it's not something that you should carry shame about. It's not there's always hope like you said and it's possible you 
guys are living, breathing examples. I mean, you had, I feel like layers of not just the addiction, but you had the psychosis of that or the mental health issues that were on top of that. I mean, Mm. oh my gosh, you made it, you made it. And so you're a perfect example to show others the hope and the light of recovery is possible. I love it so much. So grateful for people like you. Likewise, without each other. And I consider you guys like my recovery family, even though Oh yeah. Even though we haven't like, you know, met personally or anything. I feel like you guys are my online recovery family. <laughs> yeah. I get that sense too that there is some connection. There is a bond there over yeah. recovery and just humanity. Absolutely. Or things that affect so many people more than any of us really truly can even fathom. It's yeah. that prevalent. Well, and I want to also congratulate you and your family. You have such a beautiful family and I love oh, your story. You. I love the story of you guys and how beautifully everything has turned out. You guys are such beautiful people. Oh, <laughs> thank you, Erica. Yeah. It's like, Please. yeah, we, you go through life and you go through all of these different trials and valleys in life and then you come out on the other side and it's just... You got to be so grateful, just full yeah. of gratitude. Absolutely. 100%. And hope. I, I love it. Well, goosebumps again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Every time we go into other people's stories and get to really hear the details, it's like, oh my gosh, just stand in awe of God exactly. and his mercy. So I normally, when I have a guest on, I end with three questions. If you're down to answer them, we will go over. It's called Bless Me With Three. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. So the first one is, do you have a favorite go-to verse or scripture that you kind of held on to at one time or just something that you love? Sure. A scripture. Let's see if I can remember it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Oh, what is it? I know what you're talking about. It's Proverbs 3, 5. All your heart. Something, let him show you the way and, and he will open the paths. Yeah, it's you're very close. It's trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And then I I know that second part is, I forget the beginning, but then it says, and he will make all of your paths straight. Okay, I just looked it up. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. There you go. There in all go. of your ways, lean on him. Yes. <laughs> hey, you were close enough. Yeah. <laughs> and then the second one is, do you have a favorite book? Are you a reader? Just out of curiosity. I'm not a very big reader, to be honest <laughs> with you. I mean, especially after finishing my graduate school, I'm like, I don't want to read any more oh books. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I do not blame you there. Okay. Book or podcast? Or... Well, okay. So uh, I guess a, a book that comes to mind is it's the four agreements oh yeah you read that That is i keep i haven't read it it's is it don miguel Uh, or something or can you i'm gonna say the wrong name miguel ruiz okay the four agreements yes a lot of people have talked about that book that's a great book and it yeah, it's, you know, be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personally. Don't make assumptions. Always do your best. Those yes. are four agreements. And it's really good. <laughs> that's good. My sister was just talking. That's who it was. That's why it's more fresh on my mind. She was just talking about how oh, okay. amazing 
yeah. and insightful that book was for her. Okay, good. And then the last one is, is there a person, either someone you know personally or not, who just inspires you and encourages you to be your best? I mean, this is going to sound really cheesy and cliche, but I'm going to say my husband. He's my biggest supporter and I just really, I don't know, I just love him so much. And we just really support each other so much through everything. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I love that. Well, what better person to have than your spouse, right? Exactly. Such a gift. Yeah. Well, Erica, thank you so much for just taking the time for saying yes, being so gracious with your willingness to share your story. I know there is somebody, if not multiple people who need to hear it because I'm telling you, God brought you here to me, to this podcast, to the listeners. So thank you again. Thank you so much, Barbara. I'm just honored that you would ask me and I'm so happy I got to spend a little bit of time with you. (laughs) Me too. And you know what? We will meet in person. I believe that. Yes. We visit every once in a while. So yeah, somehow, some way we're going to get together. Okay. I can't wait. (laughs) All right, Erica, we will talk soon. Thanks, Barbara. Bye-bye. Something, let him show you the way and and he will open the paths. (laughs) Yeah, it's, you're very close. It's trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And then I, I know that second part is, I forget the beginning, but then it says, and he will make all of your paths straight. Okay. I just looked it up. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. There you go. There in you all go. of your ways, lean on him. Yes. <laughs> hey, you were close enough. Yeah. <laughs> and then the second one is, do you have a favorite book? Are you a reader? Just out of curiosity. I'm not a very big reader to be honest <laughs> with you. I mean, especially after finishing my graduate school, I'm like, I don't want to read any more oh books. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I do not blame you there. Okay. Book or podcast? Or... Well, okay. So uh, I guess a, a book that comes to mind is, it's The Four Agreements. Oh, yeah. Have you read that, that book? Is, I keep, I haven't read it. It's, is it Don Miguel Ruiz or something? Uh, Or can you, I'm going to say the wrong name. Don Miguel Ruiz. Okay. The Four Agreements. Yes. A lot of people have talked about that book. That's a great book. And yeah, it's, you know, be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personally. Don't make assumptions. Always do your best. Those yes. are the four agreements. I and mean, it's really good. <laughs> that's good. My sister was just talking. That's who it was. That's why it's more fresh on my mind. She was just talking about how oh, okay. amazing yeah. and insightful that book was for her. Okay, good. And then the last one is, is there a person, either someone you know personally or not, who just inspires you and encourages you to be your best? I mean, this is going to sound really cheesy and cliche, but I'm going to say my husband. He's my biggest supporter and I just really, I don't know, I just love him so much. And we just really support each other so much through everything. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, I I love that. Well, what better person to have than your spouse, right? Exactly. Such a gift. Yeah. Well, Erica, thank you so much for just taking the time for saying yes, being so gracious with your willingness to share your story. I know there is somebody, if not multiple people who need to hear it because I'm telling you, God brought you here to me, to this podcast, to the listeners. So thank you again. 
Thank you so much, Barbara. I'm just honored that you would ask me. And I'm so happy I got to spend a little bit of time with you. (laughs) Me too. And you know what? We will meet in person. I believe that. Yes. We visit every once in a while. So yeah, somehow, some way we're going to get together. Okay. I can't wait. (laughs) All right, Erica. We will talk soon. Thanks, Barbara. Bye-bye. Bye.